Hey everyone and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this special episode, I am commemorating my 100th episode with a special podcast episode. I mean, it's kind of crazy I've made 100 of these. I had no idea where I was going with this when I started this a couple years ago during the start of the pandemic, but here I am with 100. Uh, yeah, first off, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who you, you know listened and supported and sent me kind words over the last couple years. I really appreciate it, and this has been really fun for me. So, for this special episode, I will go through and do a tier list ranking of all one or all thirty-one manga canon arcs, all the way from Romance Dawn to the current Wano arc. And this is a perfect time as the Wano arc has just recently completed, so I can fully evaluate it as well. So here's how this will go. I have five tiers, D, C, B, A, and S. D being the lowest and S being the best. Within each tier, I'll also order them as well. So essentially, this is just a ranking list, but divided into tiers. Obviously, this tier list will be completely subjective in my opinion. And everyone's opinion on how they would rank the arcs is obviously going to be different. Um, I'm basing my rankings on a spectrum of factors from my overall enjoyment of both the manga and the anime... The storytelling, the art quality and direction, memorable events, action, music, and how they impacted me personally at the time as well. So now since I'm going to be ranking 31 different arcs to make sure this episode doesn't go on too long, I won't go too far in depth with each one and talk about just a couple highlights of why I ranked a particular arc in that position. Also, I feel like I shouldn't have to mention this, but this will be full spoiler and so warnings all the way around till all the way to the end of the Wano arc. Um, which is right now ten chapter 1056. So just to be warned about that. And without further ado, let's get started with the bottom tier at D tier. So D tier, just because the, an arc is here in the D tier, doesn't necessarily mean it's bad or that I hate it. It just means that all the other ones are just that much better. I actually like all the arcs in one piece for the most part. But, you know, some are better than others. So we'll start here at the D tier. Alright, so at number 31, we have Syrup Village. Definitely the weakest of all the arcs in One Piece, and it's kind of a shame it has to be so close to the beginning, as this arc basically is the last thing you see before the series starts getting really good. So you find many people falling off the series before it gets great. And the reason this arc falls at the bottom is because the story is really simple, with not too many memorable moments, with a villain whose plan is just boring to just downright nonsensical. There also isn't as much uh, emotional investment in the arc. Usopp doesn't really get that much development here, and we don't even see his flashback to the very end, which is just like a three-minute story of how he lost his mother. And I do really love that we get the going merry here, as well as Django and Luffy with him being hypnotized and all that jokes that come with that are pretty hilarious. But otherwise, not a great memorable arc. And at number 30, we have Whiskey Peak. And you can't really blame this arc for being fairly unremarkable, as it's the first island in the Grand Line. But it serves more of a quick stop that sets everything up than an actual story arc. There's also the really weird character-breaking moment where Luffy seemingly doesn't really trust Zoro and starts attacking him, leading to a great battle, but ultimately kind of makes no sense. And again, there's not really much to sink your teeth into here, but there are some great moments with BV and Igram being revealed, as well as Zoro versus the Baroque Works agents and him sort of just manhandling Miss Monday. <laughs> that was pretty funny as well. But yeah, I mean, other than a few standout moments with VV, 
there really isn't too much to Whiskey Peak, landing it here at number 30. Now at number 29, we have Little Garden. Little Garden, while in the D tier, it's not a bad arc by any means. I actually really enjoy it, but I do feel it is a bit of a slowly paced arc given what it's trying to do. It just moves really slowly and doesn't progress the plot as quickly as you'd like. And so it gets a little boring at times, especially towards the middle when they're just kind of lost in the jungle and the fight goes on for a little too long. But it does build some great tension with the candle ticking clock mechanism where they're all turning into wax statues as well as introducing us to the giants and the land of Elbaf, which we still haven't gotten a payoff for yet, but it's very intriguing, as well as serving a great sort of um, renewed sense of character development for Usopp. At number 28, we have the Davy back fight slash long ring long land. And this is always at the bottom of many people's lists, but I first want to preface this by saying I am evaluating this based on only the canon material in the manga, which is a much better viewing experience. Ultimately, this is another one of those arcs that's meant as more of a stop-off point, so there's not much in the way of real story investment. I think what saves this arc is really the sudden appearance of Ahokiji and his manhandling of the Straw Hats, and it was a real wake-up call and jolt to the story. And I personally love Ahokiji as a character, so this is why Fo the Foxy portion of the story, while... Not really all that great. It does give us Afro Luffy and a few other standouts that uh, I really enjoy. So yeah, landing here at 28. So that concludes the D tier, actually. And we move on to the C tier. Arcs in this tier, I'd say, are the average ones. There's nothing overly negative about them, but there's also not enough that stands out about them either. You'll notice a theme about these arcs on this tier specifically as many of them are connective arcs, meaning they serve mainly to establish a new shift in the story. They're not bad, but they just don't have the sort of that complete storytelling that other proper arcs have. In at number 27, we have the Return to Sabori arc. This arc does have the unique distinction of reintroducing us back to the Straw Hats after their two-year time skip training, but it ultimately just serves as mostly connective tissue to bridge the gap between the time periods, so there's not much in the way of story. It's fun seeing how everyone's changed and see their immense power-ups as they all wipe out the pacifistas like it's nothing, as well as the side story with the fake straw hats is also pretty funny as well. But aside from that, you know, there's not really much going on in this arc, but it is still enjoyable. So yeah, lands at the bottom of C tier. In at number 26, we have Romance Dawn, the arc that started it all. While this arc definitely has significance in the story of One Piece, it is ultimately the very beginning with not much real substance aside from Luffy and Shanks' history, but the rest with Alvida and Morgan acting more like Saturday morning cartoon villains with little to no depth make for an entertaining watch, but nothing compared to what would eventually be followed by it with these deep, you know, rich stories. But I do love the introduction of Zoro and Kobe in this portion of the story though. So yeah. It kind of gets there in 26 at the C tier. Alrighty, in at 25, we have the Orangetown arc. The next arc in the story would land it slightly higher in the rankings, as I feel this is One Piece's first real arc, and it establishes kind of the formula for the series going forward of going to an island that's been overtaken by a tyrannical villain, and it will be up to Luffy and company to defeat them and liberate the island, all while meeting new friends in Nakama. Again, while it establishes the formula, 
it's still pretty shallow comparatively. And I got, you know, I loved Shushu and Buggy. In fact, the moment I fell in love with One Piece is when Luffy goes back to get the food for Shushu and has that sort of conversation with him. That's when I knew personally that this series was something special because of that sort of that human moment in this story, which I really loved and immediately made me attached to this story. Next, at number 24, I have Logtown. So, just like the return of the Sabodi arc, this mini story arc again serves more as a connective tissue between the East Blue Saga and the Grand Line. So, there, is too, there isn't too much in the way of, of a story, but it still has some amazing moments and world building. The introduction and reintroduction of some of the major characters going forward, with the likes of Smoker, Tashigi, Dragon, as well as returning players like Buggy and Alavida are all really welcome to see. And you also can't forget about the moments of Zoro betting on his luck to get the Sandai Kitetsu, as well as the entering the Grand Line where they smash the barrel moment, where they all declare their dreams as they prepare to journey into the Grand Line, are all very memorable scenes, making it so that this does land up higher, a little bit higher in the mid-range of C-tier. And leading into that, at number 23, the next arc in the story is Reverse Mountain. So this short arc and their first stop in the Grand Line will forever hold a special place in my heart for two major reasons. The crocus gag of them doing the boom, boom, boom camera gag, as well as the introduction of Laboon. And this would only be made better at the reveal that Laboon is waiting for Brooke all those years later. I mean, retroactively, that reveal made Reverse Mountain even better. And we also sort of get the introduction of Vivi, who's still acting as Miss Wednesday at this point. But really, Reverse Mountain gets to be this high because of that one single gag that always makes me laugh every time I watch that episode with Krokus' first introduction. And number 22, we have Levely. So this arc again serves as another connective tissue arc, but this arc drops so many damn reveals. It leaves you spinning. I don't even have enough time to list them all here, but some of the more significant ones are the new bounties for the Strong Hats, the reintroduction of several old characters, the drama between the Marines, the Korose, and Emu, as well as the mystery of the giant Straw Hat, Shanks coming to visit the Gorose, all the Revolutionary Army stuff, just to name a few, I mean, there's so much that drops in this arc. But needless to say, this arc has a, a you know a lot of story progression and world building packed into it, but just kind of falls short because again, it's not necessarily a complete story arc. It's just a bunch of information dropped on you. It's all really amazingly interesting information, but it's not really much of a story to say the least. Next at number 21, we have Amazon Lily. This is an entire arc all on its own, unlike the ones prior, but there's still really no villain, but it does introduce the Amazons and the final Shichibukai, Boa Hancock. And there are a lot of things I like about this arc with the first real acknowledgement of Conqueror's Haki by Luffy. I also love the part with Luffy sacrificing himself to protect the Hancock sisters' secret, as well as the moment where he's believed that he can save Marguerite by giving up the chance to get a boat. It's also pretty, it's a pretty funny arc with the whole female society experiencing seeing a man for the first time. However, it's still a C tier because of the fact that it's still, for the most part, a connective arc. And the rest of the Straw Hats are all gone. So yeah, it's, it serves as a really fun sort of side story. But again, it's not, it doesn't quite have that magic sauce that 
that you would expect a A tier or S tier arc would have. So at number 20, we have Fishman Island. And ah, Fishman Island, this is probably one of my least favorite, like, long form complete arcs. Like I've said, many of these arcs previously have all been sort of small scale to connective arcs. But this is like the first major return to form from the time skip. And while it's not terrible or anything, but there's just, you know, a lot of expectations for this fabled place that's been built up for so long. And it being the first arc back from the time skip, it just kind of falls flat under the weight of all of that. And the added responsibility of having to devote so much time to laying the groundwork for what would essentially be the rest of the story. The villains were annoying and uninteresting. Like, Hody Jones was just weak as hell. And, and it just incredibly long with not much payoff. And overall, no real tension as the new and improved Strong Hats are just way beyond at this point in terms of strength compared to Hody and his commanders. Which I know is the point. But still, it doesn't create that much tension. I mean, there are some really great moments. You know, I'll never get tired of watching Megalo barf up Luffy. <laughs> but yeah, aside from that, there's just a, it's just too long and it just doesn't really do enough to sort of get it higher on the list. Oh, and how could I forget? I mean, Sanji and the whole nosebleeding storyline. Ugh, that's annoying. Yeah, so that was the C tier. Um, as we move to the B tier, this tier is for all those arcs that I enjoy quite a bit and have more things about them that I like than dislike, but aren't quite perfect or lacking that sort of that X factor. One thing you'll notice about this tier is that many of these arcs are all right by most measures, but they all have one particularly amazing moment or moments that lift it up for me above this C and D tiers. So, at number 19, we have Punk Hazard. Punk Hazard, I know for a lot of people, shouldn't be this high up on the list. But for me, I love Punk Hazard. I for sure recognize that it's not perfect at all. Caesar is not the greatest villain. And Monet and Virgo weren't developed as well as they could have been, despite how cool they both were. But this arc, to me, is hilarious with the body switching that Law does. It's also got the return of Law, Smoker, Tashigi, and Aokichi, which I always love. And I love the story with Chopper and Nami protecting the kids and, and curing them. And it is a really shining moment for them. It is a little too long and poorly paced, which makes reading and watching a bit of a chore sometimes. But when it's working, it really works. And that's why I really enjoy Punk Hazard. Because of it has most, most of the moments are really enjoyable. Not to mention, this is where we sort of get the start of the whole Wano story with the introduction of Kiyomo and Momonosuke as well. And at number 18, I have Jaya. So Jaya is probably another one that is an odd choice to have this high up on the list. As it's not a major arc and not much happens. But for me, I love this story with Cricket and the Monkeys. But what really puts this arc hot, so high up on the list is the introduction of Blackbeard. But most of all, that insanely satisfying punch on Bellamy. That moment has left such a lasting impact. That moment alone elevates Jaya to this point on the tier list for me. Next at number 17, I have Zou. Zou, again, is an arc that seems a bit high, but this arc brought a whole new side to the One Piece world with the minks and the idea of an island walking around in the form of a giant elephant named Zunisha, which was awesome, as well as setting up the Four Emperor Saga, essentially, with building up for the whole 
Whole Cake Island and Wano Arc. But obviously, the real reason this arc is here because of the Daizo is safe moment. This moment was done so damn well. I still get chills remembering this moment as it was just so shocking and heartwarming. Usually, you can see this stuff like from a mile away in shonen manga, but this reveal completely blew my socks off. And not to mention the shocked reactions from the Straw Hats in the story, in addition, made it even better to me. And so, just for that moment alone, I think I, I just put Zo up this high at number 17. And then at number 16, an, another one that's kind of be kind of controversial is, and I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for putting Thriller Bark this high on the list. Since most people seem to think this arc belongs near the bottom for some reason, but this arc, while it does have its problems like pacing, lackluster villain in Moria, and some wildly inappropriate stuff with Nami, it is still so damn funny and entertaining. It was a nice return to the comedy after the crazy stakes of Alabasta, Skypea, Water 7, and NES Lobby. It felt like a breath of fresh air and returned to old One Piece. And that joke of Luffy pushing the zombie back into the grave is my favorite joke in the entire series. And then, of course, the nothing happened moment makes this arc an instant classic on its own. I mean, come on. That moment is amazing. And even before that, with all the Straw Hats never backing down and putting their own lives on the line to protect a downed Luffy from Kuma, it's such a great moment. And I think all of those things make up for some of the more negative aspects of Thriller Bark. At number 15, I have Drum Island. Drum Island for me is one of my personal favorites, which is why it's so high up on the list. It's a, it's a very nostalgic arc for me. I know it's far, far smaller in scale than many of the arcs up higher on the list, but there's just so much I love about this arc. First off, the comedy is off the charts funny. Just to name a few things like the hiking bear, Dr. Kureha herself, the Lapan, particularly the gag with Sanji kicking the little one after it's trying to bite their heads off, Chopper and all of his quirks, Vivi slapping the shit out of Usopp's face, Zoro getting lost are just a couple are things that always make me laugh. And beyond that, though, it's a beautiful story with the introduction of Chopper and his flashback, which is just heartbreaking. One of the most heartbreaking flashbacks in the entire series. But it's then paid, paid off with such a beautiful send off with the Sakura blooming and the message of people will continue to live on as long as we keep their will and their memory alive. The only thing that holds this arc back, really, is Wapol, and, and as well as the fights with him and his.、Um, You know, Chess and Kuromarimo, they're just all really uninspired and kind of boring. But beyond that, I think this arc is really damn good. At number 14, I have Baratie. This is when you could argue One Piece takes its first step to becoming the epic that it is today. It does a great job of widening the world of One Piece with the introduction of Mihawk and the Shibukai. And really, the reason it moves up so high on the list is because of the Mihawk versus Zoro fight. That fight was so amazing, both from a thematic and entertainment level. It also sees the first real long form flashback for a straw hat nakama in Sanji's. And I really like the addition of Ging and Sanji to the story. And while Don Krieg was a mediocre villain, he did challenge Luffy in a variety of different ways that made some, for some awesome Luffy moments. And yeah, I think that Baratier deserves to be this high on the list because it does so many things well, just on a very small scale when you compare it to 
the juggernauts that are later on this list. And at number 13 for our final B-tier arc is the post-Marine Third War arc. Now, I know I put most of the connective arcs in the C-tier, but this arc definitely deserves to be up in this tier because of all the beautiful moments of Luffy grieving Ace's loss, the Ace-Sabo-Luffy flashback, the Straw Hats training during the time skip, and one of the most beautiful and impactful moments for me is Jinbei trying to help Luffy when he's distraught and harming himself for not being able to save Ace and his Nakama. Probably the greatest quote that's helped me and countless others in dark times is the don't just keep thinking about what you've lost. What's gone is gone, but what do you still have? This moment and quote is probably the most important lesson I've ever learned from One Piece, and this scene alone elevates it up here, not to mention just the overall beautiful sort of tone of this. And I love the opening theme during all of this. I mean, Fight Together is still one of the best opening themes and matches this arc so well, blending it just outside of A tier. Alrighty, A tier. This is where things get really interesting. These are some of my favorite arcs and some of the best in the series. These are all really well done and for the most part very complete stories and have little to no flaws in my eyes. The only reason these don't make it quite to the S tier is they're missing that little extra thing that pushes them from great to epic. But yeah, let's get on with A tier. So, at number 12, we have the post Aeneas Lobby arc. So this one might seem a little strange that it's so high up considering it's not even a complete arc. And more so another connective tissue arc, or epilogue, I guess, to an arc you could say. But for me, there was just so much packed into this small section. And really, in my mind, this is part of an, the already amazing Water 7 Aeneas Lobby saga arc, whatever you want to call it. But it's often listed as its own arc, so here we are. To me, I, I, if, if I could, I would just lump this in with the Water 7 and NES Lobby. There's so much in this arc with the reintroduction of the improved Kobe and Hilmeppo, their new ship, the Thousand Sunny, their new expanded crew-wide bounties, the joining of Frankie as their shipwright, as well as some crazy world-building and shattering reveals like the fact that Garp is Luffy's grandpa and that Dragon is his dad. Also, the introduction of the concept of the Yonko and the emotional resolution with Robin's story were all handled so well in this arc. And I just, yeah, I just really enjoy watching this arc. Alrighty, so at number 11, we have Impel Down. Impel Down is easily one of the most bonkers arcs ever, but it was so refreshing because even though at its base level, it still follows the same structure of Luffy coming and liberating a group of people, but it's done in such a crazy way, it's enter entertaining to no end. I think one of the biggest draws for this arc is the return of so many past characters, especially the villains. Then the fact that they all team up to break out of an impenetrable prison is insane. I mean, you have people all the way from Buggy to Crocodile himself. Add on top of the, that, the addition of the first appearance of Jinbei and Ivankov, it's enough to make you know, you crap your pants every episode with brand new reveals. And Magellan is an incredibly powerful and imposing antagonist, as well as the brief face-to-face -face with Blackbeard and Luffy post-capture of Ace was chilling. There's obviously so much more to talk about, but this arc was just non-stop thrill ride, just to say the least, which lands it just outside the top 10. Alright, so now we're on to the top 10, and at number 10, I have Sabodi. 
So this sits up here solely because this arc made me feel things. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that, again, this arc serves to further widen the world with Rayleigh giving us a glimpse into what Roger's crew was like. We meet our second admiral in the terrifying Kizaru, as well as Sentomaru and the Pacifistas. All these people show us just how out of their league the Straw Hats are in terms of you know the wider world of One Piece. However, not to be outdone by the already established powers, we get the introduction of the rising rookies in the form of the worst generation supernovas, many of whom who will go on to play significant roles in the main story, especially Law, Bedge, and Kid. But for me, the reason this arc is up in the top 10 is for the most satisfying punch on St. Charlos, as well as the bone-chilling sequence of the Straw Hats getting absolutely decimated by Kuma which by the end of it left me numb and speechless. And I don't think I've ever felt that way reading or watching any story aside from maybe the ending to Infinity War um, or Avengers Infinity War, that is. But yeah, this, this arc is just something else altogether. All right, so at number nine, I've got Skypea. And ah, uh, Skypea, this one I'm probably going to get a lot uh, probably the most reaction from for putting so high on the list since a lot of people seem to really not like this arc but i feel like recently sentiments have really started to change since the reveal in wano but it's a, it's an important connection to the wider lore and as i have mentioned in my episode rewatches i personally love skypea it's a really well told complete story with some really great themes of faith and religion without bashing you over the head with it it's also an arc that does a really great job of balancing the story plots and creating a sense of adventure and stakes. NL and the priests are formidable and powerful villains that actually push all our characters to the limits. But really, I just love the conclusion to the Nolan Cricket and Wiper story with the ringing of the bell always getting me emotional. If there was one downside to this arc, it's that it's paced a little awkwardly and drags a bit towards the third act because of all the sort of the rising action, but then as the action gets rising, we get a flashback or something else that sort of interrupts that. And so it is a it is a very awkwardly paced arc. I will give it that. Now at number eight, I have Dress Rosa. Dress Rosa is one of those arcs that has a very polarizing reaction from the fan base, especially depending on how you originally consumed it. While the anime was a bit hard to get through due to the absurdly bad pacing, and I'll, I'll admit, it even made me stop watching the anime on a weekly basis and wait for the completion of the arc and then just binge the rest of it. But that being said, I think Dressrosa is still an amazing and awesome arc with a great story, easily, I'm going to say, the best villain in the story. Two amazing flashbacks, an introduction to so many great characters, and of course, Gear Forth, just to name a few. It does have an amazingly epic scale, but the scale gets a bit away from Oda with it being very long, so many characters to service, and some just getting very little to work with, especially Rebecca and Robin. They just really don't get much to do at all throughout the story, which is really unfortunate. Overall, though, this is still an exciting and mind-melting arc that keeps you, you know, glued to the seat the whole way through, especially if you followed it through the manga. I understand if you watch this only through the anime, it is a very difficult arc to get through. 
And just above it, at number 7, I have Whole Cake Island. My opinion on Whole Cake Island is actually similar to Dressrosa, but it's just executed far better and tighter than Dressrosa in almost every way. There are still a lot of characters, but there are, are still fewer of them, and they're developed a little bit more and given more attention. The story is focused more on Sanji and Luffy, which focuses the story overall, which is much better. And all the characters involved get great moments to shine in easily one of the best one-on-one -on -one fights in the series with Luffy versus Katakuri taking place. The tension in this arc was pretty well done with how imposing of a constant threat that seemingly invincible Big Mom was. The cherry on top was the moment when Sanji emotionally breaks down and wishes to be back with the crew on the sunny. And that moment is so amazing and well done, especially in the anime. The only downside is, again, it does have some pacing issues, but not nearly as bad as Dressrosa. But still, some moments like the cracker fight and the chase at the end do take a little too long. I feel like the anime does drag it out a little bit. It is a little better in the manga, but it does still feel like, come on, let, let's get moving here. But aside from that, Whole Cake Island is awesome. So that concludes the A tier, and now we're on to the S tiers. These are the cream of the crop in terms of arcs. These are some of the best stories I've ever seen anywhere, literally, in terms of any media, not just One Piece. And the remaining six arcs are near perfect, or even if they do have flaws, they have so many ama amazing qualities that I don't even care about those small flaws, to be honest. So yeah, at the are the bottom of S tier we have number six Arlong Park. Our first S tier arc is Arlong Park, and this arc deserves to be up here. But the only reason it's at the bottom of S tier is for the sheer fact that it is much smaller scale compared to the other remaining arcs. But that doesn't really diminish its overall impact, as in my mind, it is near perfect. The storytelling is awesome in setting up the stakes and the villains. Arlong and his commanders are all unique and interesting but convey their threat and strength through just their excellent character designs alone. But the real star of the arc is the emotion connection between that Oda builds between us and Nami's story. The amazing twists with her character's allegiance, her incredibly tragic flashback, all culminating into the final moment where most people fall in love with One Piece is the Save Me Luffy moment and the walk to Arlong Park. And finally, all the 1v1 battles were amazing. And this formula is so good that Oda would go on to use this as a template to bookend several of his other larger sagas, which we'll go over in the next few picks. Alright, so on to the top 5. And at number 5, I have the newest just completed arc, the Wano arc. Now I know much of this arc has not been completed in the anime, it only just finished in the manga, so major spoilers for anime only watchers. This arc is easily one of the most sprawling and rich arcs in all of One Piece. Oda brought the big guns out, creating an elaborate tapestry of interweaving plot threads for over two dozen characters, and brought an epic and satisfying conclusion to the Four Emperor saga by bringing down two of the most seemingly unbeatable characters in Big Mom and Kaido. The land of Wano is such an amazingly well-realized place with a rich history, culture, and characters with a crazy story to go along with it. The animation in the anime is much better, even if it can get a little overboard at times and a little hard on the eyes with some of the crazy effects that they've started adding into the series. 
I mean, especially in the most recent episodes at the time of the recording, I mean, you have episodes like 1026 and 1027 where it almost seems like they're Dragon Ball fights. But anyway, you know, there aren't very many arcs that could match the sheer excitement and joy each new chapter and episode brought. I mean, just every chapter seemed to be something crazy. And the only reason it's not higher is its length and time that it takes. It's sort of kind of feels unfocused sometimes with the story jumping all over the place so much. You know, it was a little much in my opinion, but I mean, that's such a small gripe, to be honest. Wano is an amazing arc. And I do reserve the right to sort of maybe change my opinion about Wano arc. It may go higher uh, depending on, you know, what, what happens because technically we haven't left Wano yet in the manga so any anything that happens in the next couple of chapters before they leave Wano could ultimately sway my opinion on Wano so I reserve the right to change this one at some point down the line Alrighty, at number four I have Maureen Ford and some of you are probably surprised I don't have this arc higher or even at number one but I'll just tell you right away why it's not quite as high while I do think Maureen Ford is absolutely incredible and one piece at some of its finest in my eyes and my eyes alone I don't have as much attachment to it because the rest of the Straw Hats aren't there. Their absence is really felt, and of course, that was the point of the arc. But that being said, I mean, what can I say? This was the climactic end of the first half of One Piece, and it does not disappoint whatsoever. Marineford, I believe, did what Wano couldn't quite do, and that was balance all the different things going on at once. Despite how many people this arc brought together like the marines the shibukai the admirals the whitebeard pirates luffy and the impel downs escapees as you know they were all tied together really well and cohesively with the sole goal of protecting luffy and saving ace this arc some of saw some of the most badass character introductions up to that point in an all-out brawl and it was as magnificent as you could have pictured it while still giving it all the emotional resonance and weight it deserves with ace's untimely death as well as when Kobe stood up to Akainu and pleading for the senseless killing to stop, those moments both still give me chills to this day. I mean, this arc was the climax of the first half of One Piece, and it does not disappoint whatsoever. And I, yeah, this definitely deserves to be up in the top four, for sure. All right, top three. So at number three, I have Arabasta. This is one of my personal favorite arcs, and it's probably a little too high for some people, but I freaking love Arabasta. While Arlong Park laid the groundwork, Arabasta cemented it by building upon it and expanding the scale and epicness. While the setting of the desert isn't quite as interesting as some of the other locales they would end up going to later on in the story, the way the story unfolds progressively, building momentum and tension to the point where the final 20 or so episodes are just a crazy thrill ride, not to mention the threat that Crocodile posed was immense. This was the first time where I legit thought that Luffy was in danger, especially after their first encounter resulting in a skewering. That after that, I mean, Oda just kept giving us, you know, kept us guessing the whole way. Every one of the Straw Hat fights were all so well done with just the right amount of coolness and humor. But obviously the anchor of this arc was Vivi herself and her character as well as the way she was written, was so amazing seeing her grow into the leader and ruler she was destined to be, while remaining true to her compassionate and kind self. I mean, the clock tower scene of her screaming to everyone, as well as when Luffy's gomu gomu no storm, 
both hit at the same time will always be some of the greatest moments in One Piece that I always love rewatching just on their own. It's such an awesome moment. And yeah, for me, the Arabasta arc is just one of the greatest and most nostalgic arcs for me, which is why it lands so high up on this list. Okay, so I'm sure you all know which two arcs I have remaining. And like I'm currently saying in the Rewatch podcast episodes, I consider these two arcs pretty much one story arc taking place on two different island locations. But since they're generally formally recognized as two separate arcs, I will rank them separately. So at number two, I'm putting Water 7. This arc by itself may not have any of the emotional payoffs or large-scale battles, but despite that, it still holds its own incredibly well. First off, the island of Water 7 is still my favorite island in all of One Piece. It's got such a rich history and culture that's been developed by Oda, but the island and the design are just gorgeous. However, the arc is very good at building mystery and tension, better than in any other arc, I feel like. For much of the arc, you're left in a really uncomfortable place not knowing what is happening, and that keeps you super invested in the story. However, this arc is obviously not without its great action, with the raid on Frankie House, and of course the emotional and physical fight between Usopp and Luffy, not to mention the legit shocking twist of the Galila members were in fact the villains of the CP9. The seeming betrayal of Robin, as well as Sanji being the covert badass he is towards the end, I mean, these were all so fun to see, and Water 7 is definitely fully deserving of being up here at number 2. Although I will admit, it does kind of piggyback off of Aeneas Lobby, but again, they both build off of each other, so I think they both belong to be, or belong together, really. At the number 1 spot, coming as no surprise, is the Aeneas Lobby arc. Obviously, I'm not done rewatching this arc for the podcast, so I'll be a little bit more brief, but this arc is absolutely amazing, with such a high concentration of the most iconic and momentous moments of the entire series. This, to me, is still the pinnacle and peak of One Piece. I mean, the stare-down moment at the tower, the burning of the flag, the I-want-to-live moment, all happened in essentially one scene alone. And then there's everyone's individual fight, as well as the Usopp Soga King coming up huge to save Robin at the last moment, to Luffy's gears and his fight versus Luchi. There's just so much to love, not to mention how this arc continues to build the tension with one impossible inescapable obstacle after another. It leaves you gripping the chair or the manga so hard on your first run through. It's incredible. I also just love how beautiful the animation in the island is. But one thing that often gets overlooked but still stands out to me when watching Enyasabi is the musical score. It is done so well, especially in all the big moments, and really heightens the impact of each of those. I can go on forever about Enyasabi, but I will leave that there, as obviously we'll continue to discuss it in the rewatch up, rewatch up episodes coming up. And so there you have it, my tier list rankings of all 31 current One Piece arcs. I know I have some weird tastes for some of them, and in other places incredibly basic, almost cliche takes, but this was a lot of fun to do, as I've never actually gone through and ranked all the arcs, even in my own head. So this was great fun to actually sit down and think about and write down in what order my rankings were. And I even surprised myself with some of the selections. Anyways, I hope you all enjoyed that, and thank you so much for sticking through that longish podcast, and I can't thank you enough for supporting me 
through 100 episodes. All the messages of kind words and encouragement have been amazing to see. I mean, you're all the best. It's kind of crazy that I've done this much, but I have so much fun working on this podcast, and I hope you're all having fun listening. And I thank you for your continued support going forward for probably, hopefully, the next 100 episodes. I mean, just based on the pace I'm going, it's going to be well over another 100 episodes. But anyways, uh, the next episode, we won't quite get back to the rewatch episodes as I will have a podcast review of the One Piece film Gold, not Red, Gold, as it was recently re-released here in the U.S. leading up to the release of Film Red. But yeah, I got to go see it um, for the first time, in fact, uh, on my part with with a friend of mine. And so, yeah, I'm going to sit down with them and talk about it. So look forward to that. But anyways, if you did enjoy this, send me a like or comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter account at Podcast for updates of when I post new episodes or to see some pictures of my manga collection. As always, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my podcast. Stay safe out there and I hope to see you on the next episode. Bye.